Hi, this is Mildred Tussoni, and we have Jason Marcus here. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mildred. And we have Carrie Hartman here. So, Hartnett, sorry. Um, uh, hi, Carrie, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. Um, well, this is Real Estate Coast to Coast. And Jason and I are in New York, and um, Carrie is in Portland. So for today's show, what we'll do is we'll start off with Jason doing some mortgage news, then Carrie will switch over and see what topics you'd like to chat, and then we'll uh, you know, have a, a discussion. So Jason, you want to start? Sure. Pretty, pretty crazy week. <laughs> uh, started out, um, well, as most of you guys know, just from uh, listening to me, uh, interest rates have been ridiculously low, um, pretty much um, between 4 and 3 quarters and 5% on a regular conventional mortgage. Um, Fed came out this week, um, kind of scrambled everybody a little bit. Uh, really, uh, Benarki, he kind of has been leading to the point where I think he's trying to influence uh, the markets a little bit by giving more of a positive outlook than possibly what's been going on. Um, that kind of caused a little bit of a rate tailspin. We gave up probably about an eighth to a quarter of a percent um, within about a day, and then um, just in the last two days, uh, basically recovered it all back, which generally drives loan officers bananas, um, especially when we're trying to, you know, time things, place locks. But and end of the end of the day, it all kind of uh, leveled out and everything was back um, to where it began this week. So nothing major. A um, couple good things. Manufacturing numbers are coming in good. Um, Fed's really still nervous about inflation. That was another thing that the Fed was really discussing. They get nervous um, anytime any sort of decently positive news comes out in regards to manufacturing or comes out in regards to retail sales. Um, the arch enemy of interest rates is um, inflation. So the way that the Fed deals with inflation is by raising the prime interest rate. Now, the prime interest rate you know, has been basically sitting at about three and a quarter and um, is 3% higher than what's called the Fed's fund rate. Now, the Fed's fund rate is basically at 0%, so they can't really drop interest rates any further. So at some point in time, the Fed knows that they have to address raising interest rates and kind of let people to believe and let everybody kind of know that they're – they are talking about raising interest rates, but it doesn't look like it's probably going to happen in 2010. They, uh, I believe, are going to start raising them in 2011. And like I said, it's the arch enemy of interest rates. So generally what winds up happening is when the Fed starts to raise the interest rates, you're going to see money coming out of mortgage-backed securities. And at that point in time, you'll probably start to see long-term interest rates starting to rise. But for the meantime, my gut feeling is it should stay stable. Um, still influ influencing people to get out there and buy now, you know, take advantage of the tax credit, take advantage of ridiculously low interest rates and low housing prices and, you know, go and do whatever you got to do. On a side note, um, I actually over the last two days um, took a 20-hour 
federal course um, dealing with licensing, which all um, loan officers now have to do throughout the country. A um, lot of fun stuff in regards to ethics and um, just the mortgage process and things that you need to learn. Um, very educational, but it's a good thing. Um, I've been rooting for national licensing. You know, I'm not sure how many people are aware, but um, you, need, you now need to be um, individually licensed in any individual state that you want to do business. This is completely eliminating those people that have committed fraudulent activity. Um, we're monitored very carefully now, and um, each individual state you need to be licensed in to do business in. So um, most people in any mortgage bank like mine, which is rather big, we cover, you know, different people in my organization are licensed in different states to be able to conduct business. Um, it's, it's a checks and balances system that desperately needed to be implemented and has been to me anyway, um, very beneficial because it eliminates so many of these crooked people that actually caused a lot of this turmoil that happens in the economy to begin with. I think that's, so that's great a news. good thing. That's yeah. a great thing. So it's brutal two days, but other than that, uh, I'm through it. And you have to take a uh, you have to take a test. Um, federally and each, for each individual state. So it kind of went from, it was, it really went from one end of the spectrum to the other because basically you could have just all of a sudden woke up one day like two, three years ago and said, you know what, I feel like writing loans. And you're doing the biggest, basically handling the biggest and advising the biggest transactions of people's lives. And there was no recourse. There was no licensing. There was no nothing. Anybody off the street can just sit there, grab a mortgage application, write it up, sign it, throw it into a bank, and here, we, here you are making money writing mortgages for people. And uh, I think that was desperate that it needed to be addressed. Um, they're going a little crazy with it, but that's fine for the meantime. I think after all said and done, it'll level out. But in my world, it's great just because the competition gets eliminated and it's really going to make it difficult for new people to get into this business. Um, and at least if they are getting new people into the um, industry, they're going to have to be ridiculously knowledgeable on all the bells and whistles on you know, what goes on in the mortgage world. And and I I think in uh, they did that in the real estate for a real estate license um, until I think it was um, about a year ago, you had to take a five day course and pass two tests, but they really uh, it, it was a total of like thirty five hours or something. I mean they doubled it, but real estate transactions are so complicated. It's not just, you know, finding the house. You have the whole transaction. So they doubled that, which I think helps. And we have a lot of continuing education, which sometimes is annoying. Um, but, you you know, you really have to keep on top of all the changes. So, um, well, we're glad that you took the course. And actually, that's how it should be. You shouldn't mm -hmm. be able to just, like, put up a shingle, you know, and do mortgages, I mean, with everything, the complexity. So. Oh, yeah, and you so can't even imagine how much in regards to gets addressed um, with RESPA, um, which mm -hmm. is basically, you know, the organization put in place to make sure that illegal kickbacks and um, unlawful um, agreements amongst companies between real estate attorneys, um, mortgage banks, brokers, 
Um, that there's a, there's a lot of um, things in regards to RESPA and ethics, which I think has been on both of our industries has been lacking terribly is just the ethical behavior um, in regards to the right way to do these types of transactions. And I'm glad that, same thing, I'm very glad that they implemented this stuff. Yeah. So, um, so Carrie, um, how are you and what's on your mind this evening to start off with? Um, well, I have to agree with um, with Jason about all of the um, things being put in place to protect the consumer uh, because we are in a consumer-driven industry, and, and I think a lot of times we, we as uh, real estate brokers or real estate agents, I'm a broker here in Oregon, we actually have had in our... In our licensing laws, we have to take 150 hours of credit hours in order to get licensed, and then we have to maintain 30 uh, continuing education hours every two years, which in my opinion is not enough. I, I think when I renewed my license this last time, out of what I could find over the last two years, I think I turned in about 90 hours. So um, I, I, I think education is extremely important when you're dealing with like Jason said, the biggest transaction of most people's lives and their biggest asset. So I, kudos to you for taking the class. Um, I think that's great. So um, I've been learning a lot this, this week myself. I just came from um, a property auction over in uh, a, a neighboring community. It was an interesting process. I had the opportunity to sit a couple open houses over the weekend that um, these properties were, were going to auction. They weren't going to, to the, you know, the courthouse auction. These were, this was an auction company. Uh, one of the starting bids was $10,000 on this little house in North Portland that uh, ended up going for 85000 I think. But it was an interesting process, so quite the learning experience there. Um, you know, just kind of learning new aspects of, the real estate industry as we get into, you know, a little bit more of the distressed market. Um, I don't know if you guys are seeing a lot of distressed things happening in your area, but we are, I think we are kind of lagging behind in in, in Portland and in, in Oregon, but especially Portland because that's where I work, um, lagging behind California a bit when it comes to the short sales and the foreclosures. But it's definitely an interesting I think uh, an interesting segment of the market that I've been yeah. learning. Let me ask you a question because I have a, a friend who tried to, he was in South Carolina and was tried an auction route. And mm -hmm. I know we have auction companies up here. Um, did you say it went ultimately for 89? 85. The, the opening bid was 10000 and it went for 85. That was the one How property that I had sat. How many buyers? Uh, um, and what was the, like the market value? Um, well, the last list price on this home was 134,000. You know, definitely some mm -hmm. things that need to be taken care of. It was it was not in the best condition for homes uh, in the area that it was in. So out of the out of the auctioneer of out of people bidding at the auction for this particular home, there was maybe four buyers. That I could see that were actively bidding up the property. Um, mm -hmm. 
eyes at the open house, you know, I would think that if someone put a little bit of elbow grease into this home, you know, they got it for 85, roughly 85, uh, they mm-hmm. put a little elbow grease into the home, there's going to have to, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a holding period for that, so they've got costs there, but um, mm-hmm. I think that they could... I think that if they put a lot of work into it, I sold a house recently, uh, close a, a close a couple months ago that was very similar, for close to two hundred thousand. Wow! Um, I think if you put a little bit of work into this home, um, you could probably get close to the you know like what it was probably listed at last between one thirty five and one fifty. Yeah. Um, but you know, Jason, let me let me ask you a question, Jason. With auction sales. Um, because I know we have these on Long Island. There's companies that have, you know, come in and talked to us about that. Does that, does that have to be a cash sale? Is it a regular? Um, it doesn't technically uh, have to be a cash sale, but it's like it's it's not easy to do it as a transaction um, on the mortgage end because you almost have to have everything in place by like with going to the auction. Like yeah. I've never mm-hmm. come across a person that does this and doesn't buy all cash, nor have I done a transaction where it was involved on the mortgage end, but I know that mm-hmm. it's possible. I just don't know the inner workings of it. Yeah. Well, I, no, I, I, mean, I, I, can, I can answer maybe a little bit about that. I actually got the opportunity from one of, my, one of my loan officers here in Portland that I work with. She was on a list because her company is approved for Fannie Mae Home Path Loans. And all these homes were owned by Fannie Mae. And so that's how she got the opportunity. And so they were offering financing. Um, so it really depends. But you're right. You have to be ready with – you have to have your financing in place and ready to close within 30 days. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's definitely like, yeah, you got, you really have to have your ducks in a row and you need to, right. you know, be prepared and ready to do to make that move. But I, in our market, it's it doesn't seem like – I don't know if you've – like I said, I've come across a couple people that have gone to the courthouse steps to try to pick off houses, but like I'm, I myself am curious to know how that works because I'm not very well versed in it. I also work with an associate in my office who I've just been trying to kind of partner up with a little bit. He works for a foreclosure group. They, uh, they back the money. They go down there. He goes down to the auction steps, and um, if he has a client or if someone in the office has a client, they will go down and they will buy the property with cash at the auction step. And he's got a great, they've got a great system where they can cut, they can know days in advance what the minimum bid is so that you know what you're looking at and you can kind of pencil it out to see if it makes sense because this is more of an investor market than uh-huh. your home buyer market. Although I think yeah. there's probably home buyers that do uh, try to go to auction to buy these. Um, but he, but on the auction, on the uh, courthouse steps, you have to have cash. So uh, my associate in the office, he, his, his group that he works with will actually kind of be like the hard money lender, and then they'll sell it to someone that they can get, or they'll finance them somehow. But they have the hard money, and they go down to the courthouse steps and they buy the properties. Okay. So it's been so that's, that's- something. Yeah, it's an interesting process. I mean, I'm kind of doing this direction. I think in one of our last um, calls, I spoke about how I do a lot of short sales, and I'm getting, although I got two of them approved in the last two days, which is really exciting, one I've been working on for seven months. Um, it's, you know, the, the uh, I think 
it's kind of a natural progression to go towards either a bank owned or getting somehow into that foreclosure market because short sales are very time consuming um, and and very emotional for for the uh, homeowner that's losing their home. I have a uh, I have a brutal brutal situation on both sides of the fence where um, right now I I got a very sour taste in my mouth with well for those people that don't know out there if a house has been it's banked owned at least the bank kind of has some sort of equation where and they kind of know based on how bad it's bleeding on uh, what they're going to let it go for when the price gets negotiated at least it's something to work with where in a short sale it's like as the months continue and the person become that owns the house becomes more distressed. It's, right. it's, it's bleeding out of control, and by the time the bank gets into position to start making decisions on it, months are going by, and then you have the issue that I'm running into, and that's when a first and a second is involved. Yeah. This particular person had a first mortgage, which would get paid off with this transaction, but the problem is the second lien holder will not probably make anything. So right now I have a first position where the bank's like, yeah, fine, pay me my money, I'll be more than happy to take it, and a, and a second lien position who's like, no, you're not closing. My particular right. clients who we have in place, ready to go, cleared to close, mortgages in place could close tomorrow. Pregnant, had, it has to be out of their home, their own home, within the next two days. Nowhere to go, no answer from the seller's side or, or the seller's attorney, and basically being told on a daily basis, uh, yeah, whatever, They'll, they're going to make a decision. Well, when? Okay. Well, we don't know. And as you were just talking about, it's the most frustrating thing in the world because you get no information from these asset managers. And it's, it's heartbreaking to the principals involved, the people that aren't really the bank, you know, the principal, the buyer and the seller. And um, I, I agree, the seller, their, their hands are tied, they have no control, and they're becoming more distressed, and then the buyer is becoming frustrated, which, you know, maybe not distressed, but frustrated, and, and in, in your situation, it seems like a little distressed because they're, they're going to be out of a home soon, and, and it's, it's real frustrating. And so I've kind of been kind of taking a step in a different direction, which, which, like you said, dealing with the banks, at least they have some control over um, what they're going to be able to get rid of it at, and they can actually make a decision, and it might take a couple weeks versus, a, I mean, seven months. Seriously, I've been wait, yeah, working I mean, on that's this. Just brutal. Finally, got yeah. approval, and that was that was the we got approval on. I'm still waiting for the second, but the second was just waiting for the first to approve it, and they were going to sign off on it. And so the second yeah. was a, was a negotiator. I actually have a third party negotiator do all of my negotiations now because I don't have time. I've, now, was the second um, lien holder in that case? It was a different bank. It was a different bank. Mm-hmm. And that's so. And that is tough because you're dealing with negotiations simultaneously. I've, I've negotiated short sales myself, but they take so much of my time and I feel better. I feel like I'm a better negotiator for my buyers and my sellers versus negotiating with the bank. Um, yeah. You know, because it's just time consuming. Yeah. I have a question uh, for, um, uh, for Jason, but Carrie, I want your comments on it too. On a listing, Jason, if if there is an architect, something that needs to be done to a house, um, and uh, for example, we have this house that the st stairs are narrow, and um, 
it wouldn't it would take about ten to fifteen thousand to redo both sets of stairs, which would change the whole layout, everything. Is there a, in a mortgage because that's not like you don't have a kitchen, you know, and the stairs do work, they're just very steep. Um is there a way to work that in the mortgage? Would you do a seller's concession for something like that? What do you think? Well, I mean, you know first off, it, dep it depends on how the original financing is going to be. If they're going to do an FHA, then I'm going to probably advise them to do an FHA 203K and just incorporate right. repairs into the mortgage itself. And they could um, do that. It doesn't have to be just a kitchen. It could be something yeah. like Oh, no. I mean, you could do any repairs on a house. It doesn't really matter. Uh, only thing you're not, that based on 203K guidelines that you're not allowed to do is landscaping or, mm -hmm. like, pool work. You're not allowed to mess mm -hmm. that ton with the outside. But if it came down to siding, kitchens, bathrooms, stairs, whatever it is, um, yeah, you can – incorporated into the financing, but it's, it's a little bit more costly to do that. I would obviously break it down to kind of figure out, okay, do you have the money um, to be able to complete this? I'd probably tell them, regardless, to go out and get an estimate. Let's see what it costs and kind of see how we can structure the financing to make it work. And the other thing, just make sure that it's not detrimental because if – a, if it comes down to it, an appraiser can easily come into that property, not an inspector, but the appraiser, because I've had this happen to me, where the appraiser finds something detrimental, lists it in the appraisal report, and then I have to have it fixed prior to closing and get um, somebody in there to check on the work to make sure it was done properly, which happens um, from time to time, be it um, paint chipping and falling off the ceiling, um, windows broken, um, other things that can possibly be detrimental that, you know, roofs not being um, good where you can see leaks and they're going to require those getting fixed. Even on conventional loans now, appraisers themselves are starting to scrutinize things a lot more um, because just the recourse on their own personal licensing and how everything's getting cracked down on in our industry where, you know, they don't take any chances and if they see something that to them they feel could be harmful – um, to a prospective buyer, and then it's going to be noted in that appraisal, and then the bank underwriter has to make a call on it. So case by case, it's obviously something that can be done, Mildred, um, in regards mm -hmm. to financing, but it's one of those things where I would assess the situation, see what type of money they're working with, what type of loan program best suits them, and advise them accordingly, you know. Can I ask you a question about something that I learned? Um, maybe this might Maybe you know. I don't know much about it, but do you know much about the Fannie Mae Home Path Rehab Loan? Um, you can shoot shoot it at me. Go ahead. Well, I've never. I don't know much about it. I know it's a three percent down, and there's certain things, but um, it sounds sounded similar to the two hundred three k. But in doing the these open houses this weekend, that was something that um, they were talking about that they these houses were. Uh, approved, you know, for they would that, that they would qualify for a Fannie Mae Home Pass rehab loan, which I'd never heard of. Um, and the loan officer that I worked with on these, she wasn't approved to do the the rehab loan, but she was approved to do the Fannie Mae Home Pass. So I was just curious if that was something you knew about. I've I've done the 203k. I've had clients use that, and I as frustrating as it can be, it's you know to get the to go through all the hoops to do it. I thought it was a great program. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely an unbelievable program, and I believe that the, there's not much of a difference in regards to the home path with the exception of the fact that with the home path that it's actually um, the paper itself was, is owned by Fannie Mae. 
Oh, I see. So, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, there's not much in regards to what I've seen in, re- in regards to the criteria. I believe they still also um, require a contingency reserve, and it's the same thing. You're incorporating it into that. Uh, I'll, give, I'll get a little bit more research, and maybe we'll come back to it our next session. I'll get you more okay. information on the specific differences between the 203K and the home path. Okay. Just curious, because, I, I mean, if, if I'm going to be getting into these distressed properties, I feel like the, the 203K loan I felt was a really great um, instrument if I am going to be working with, uh, you know, short sales and, and bank-owned properties that or auction properties that need work and that a seller cannot pay for, that seems like an obvious choice for something that might need work, it's, you know, just to, to, to get some things done unless the buyer wants to pay for it out of their pocket, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, in this day and age, it just seems like um, it just makes more sense if you if you can, and you know, to incorporate it into the mortgage. Like when you're dealing with um, the financials and you're breaking down just um, the value of the house after the fact, um, you do these repairs. Um, you can really, I've seen a lot of people um, really, really make out really great. And obviously, we all kind of been agreeing on the fact that we're somewhat at a bottom of a market. So, I mean, for those people that are wise enough to go in there, find a house that's a little bit banged up, do your mm-hmm. repairs. Um, when push comes to shove, I think it's going to be, and you're going to be locked into, you know, interest rates that are under six on those programs. Mm-hmm. You're talking about mm-hmm. probably low to mid fives. I mean, when push comes to shove, it just seems like a no-brainer. I mean, yeah. me, myself, only thing – for people out there that are listening, um, it has to be a primary residence. You can't do two or three K's um, investment. It doesn't work that way. It has to be someplace that you're going to live. Okay. Okay. But I love that. Um, I love that product. Yeah, that's a great. It sounds like a great product. Um, do all people? I know you. Had, we have talked about this once. It can be um, a multi-family, right? Yes. You can do it and like then FHA, if you live in, right, if you, so as long as you live, say it's a two-family, you could have, you could live in one part of it and rent the other part, correct? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, I'm just clarifying, you know, so. Oh, no, um, of course, yeah, and it's not even like, um, inevitably, I mean, they, they don't sit there and monitor you in regards to the point where they would, they do send people out to make sure that people live there, but there's nothing stopping you, let's say, after a year or two to the point where, you know, you want to go buy something else as a primary residence. They're not going to come and scrutinize you. You can inevitably turn it into an investment property. Okay. Okay. So that sounds good. Um, how uh, Anything new out there as far as uh, Carrie? Um, is your weather bad out there, and is it in, is everything grinding to a halt, or is it nice no, out there? And things no, are- we had a week of really cold weather. It's funny, in Portland it actually starts to shut down if we start to hear of freezing rain or snow. Um, and actually over the weekend when I was sitting at these open houses with no heat, um, it was pretty cold, and they were there was not a ton of traffic because, like I said, when people hear of freezing, freezing temperatures and, and freezing rain, they just stay home. So, but we also over-exaggerate a little bit. I think the news, the news stations tend to overplay that quite a bit where they're on for four hours saying that it's the Arctic blast. And then now we've got rain and it's probably 45 degrees outside. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we went from, you know, nice, dry, sunny weather to kind of freezing weather, and now we're back to Portland weather where it's gray and rainy, and we'll we'll be here for a few months, and then uh, then we'll see the sun again. Yeah. Well, I think... um, Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, if everything sort of shuts down for this next couple of weeks holiday yeah. period or we've been getting calls on things. Um, so I, I think this is an unusual holiday ses- season because of yeah. the tax credit. I think it's just yeah. – uh, um, okay, do I you have so. that – But yeah, I'm glad. Um do you have any uh, – so next time, uh, Carrie, maybe we could talk a little bit about the uh, some of the women's council. We have 90 seconds. We, uh, sure. Women's council, so you'll give us an update on that, and then we'll ask Gail to give us a little um, what some of the committees and things, uh, the news from the National Association. Um sure. And uh, what we're going to try and do is uh, use CinchCast to tape some of these. So we'll add some sessions in and uh, so we get through. Okay. Well, thank you both very much. Um, thank you. We'll talk, Always a pleasure. We'll talk next week. We're going to tape, tape some stuff, use some of the technology, and, um, and then we'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, great. Have a good week. Thanks. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.